to the Crossway Church, you guys driving all the way over from Crestview to be with us. That, that means a lot. It means a lot to me that you guys would do that, and it means a lot to Evan and Eric and the team here that you guys would go three, three hours, three and a half hours. How long did it take you to get here? Actually, it took you a lot longer because I understand you had mobile traffic involved. So thanks for the extra sacrifice to come all the way over this way. But to be with us, thank you for doing that. Thank you for uh, Christ Community Church, who drove all of about five minutes to be here. We're so grateful that uh, we could do something convenient in your backyard and not cause you to sacrifice at all. Uh, you should be thanking us because we drove over from the South Shore. But uh, we are thrilled to be with you guys as well. Um, let's see. I, I wanted to... Usually, you know, you want to start a, a youth message with something goofy and something funny. However, um, I, I was affected by the word that Patrice had for you guys because it so much is, is in line with what I think God wants to say to you tonight. And she didn't know what I'm going to talk about, and, and obviously the Lord was just stirring some things in her. And she introduced to you the word idols to get in front of you and... And we're going to share some things about idols tonight, but th this, this touches my heart because, you know, I know this is a, this is a gathering, I'm, I mean, most of you guys are your teens, and, you know, the thinking can be, you come share some things with teens, you know, what do teens want to hear about? You, know, you want to talk about gadgets and latest hip music, and, you know, what, do you, what would you like to talk about? Well, how about we talk about idols tonight? How many of you guys would just say, hey, I'd... I'm so glad to be here to talk about idols. But can I just tell you that, you know, I, I'm, I still think I'm young. I know I'm not, but I still think I'm not that old. But I'm 52 years old, and I've gotten to interact with a lot of people, and that's just the joy of being a pastor. You get to be involved with a lot of people's lives, the good and the bad. And you listen to people's stories, and you realize some people have a lot, a lot of years in their lives that are very painful and destructive. They hurt themselves. They hurt their families. They hurt the people around them. And what they never figure out is they do it because of the idols that are in their lives. And they never figure that out. And I, I sat here as I studied through some of these things for you guys. I actually, part of me thought, man, I, I, I wish someone had shared some of this with me as a teenager when idols are doing their advertising to you and trying to get your attention for some of the first times and trying to make a long-term arrangement with you to be a part of your life for 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years. And they will do that. Can I just promise you that? They will do that. I hung up the phone with a pastor on the ride over here uh, who had called me just to tell me his, his brother who has had a life battle with drugs in his life, which is an idle issue, um, is facing some serious criminal charges for some things that have happened and gone wrong in his life. And just yesterday, I had lunch with a man who was telling me about his brother who just died in his 50s. Uh, that's a young age to die. But he, he died because of an alcohol and drug overdose because he'd been battling with drugs and alcohol for years in his life and didn't know how to escape it. And you guys may, may remember last year at this time, last July, my brother, who's about the same age as me, a few years older than me, died from uh, liver failure from an alcohol overdose. So I've, I've been around people who and I've watched their lives travel with idols inside of them for years and years and years, and, and, and you're in a place where at some point in your life, an idol, like we're going to talk about today, wants to make a deal with you, and it wants to travel with you for years, and it wants to wreck your life. But it's going to sell you on pleasure. It's going to sell you something you want. Initially, the idol can make a deal with you because you want what it offers you. And unless people like me and people in your life that God has put in your life, and unless you read the Word of God and get wisdom from it, the deal sounds good. It's got horrible payments later on. It just sounds good right now. Don't make the mistake. And, you know, you guys have been studying the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians, uh, have you guys, you guys, everybody read through First Thessalonians? Has everybody, everybody been doing that? 
You know, you've been hearing messages from, so you're getting to know these people, right? So these are first century people. The Apostle Paul shows up in their town. He preaches the gospel to them. The Spirit of God begins an incredible work in their lives. And when you read 1 Thessalonians, they, they haven't even been saved a year yet. These are new Christians. They've had an encounter with God that has had a drastic impact upon their life. So drastic that what we hear about them, I'm going to read these verses again in just a moment, is they were famous all over the nation, right? All over the nation of Greece, people had heard about these people. What a radical change had come into their life. How different they were, right? Well, listen, when, when, something, when something has quality, you want it. If you can figure out that it has quality, now, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, and he acted like it had quality. He said the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field, and he dug it up, and he buried it again. And with great joy, he went and he sold everything he had in order to buy that field, to have that treasure. And that, that sounds pretty cool, but listen, he sold everything he had, everything. Thing he had. How much quality do you think he thought that treasure was worth? It was worth everything he had, wasn't it? Right? Jesus talks about the kingdom of God like it's worth everything you have. That you should be willing to sell everything you've got in order to have it. And that's what these Thessalonians did. They sold what they had. They parted with what they had in order to have something that they thought was more quality, of more value, right? Look with me again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I put this in your outline, so if you don't have a Bible handy, you can just read along there. Paul says, you, you Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, pretty much all over Greece, those two words. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And, listen to this, I just want to, I'm going to live in this one phrase tonight. How they, how you guys turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These guys turned from idols to serve God. Their walk with God was so amazing, so interesting that everybody was talking about it. It wasn't boring. Now listen, I mean, honestly, you guys, do you go to school? Do you hang out with friends? And what you're talking about is each other's faith? each other's walk, each other's interaction with God, what God did. I mean, how, how far past youth camp are you going to go and still talk about something that happened to you and in you and that's observable in your life from youth camp? How far is that going to go? Well, for these guys, it just kept going. And it was so amazing to watch what a change came into their lives that everybody was talking about it everywhere. How do you, how do you get that kind of a walk in your life? How do you get that kind of faith in your life. Well, I just want to pull out two things that are here, right? I think I wrote this out in your outline there. The Thessalonians had a quality relationship with God because they were experiencing God. They were just hearing about God. They were experiencing God. How many of you guys know that there's a difference between hearing about something and experiencing something, right? And if you don't know that, I'm going to give you a chance to experience that. Tonight. All right, these are not bags of cocaine, but they are going to look like them. Everybody take one. Don't snort them, whatever you do. Pass them around. <laughs> Just hold on, hold on. I am going to make you eat it. I'm I'm gonna, I am going to make you eat it. All right, be prepared to eat this in just a moment. Anybody want to guess what it is before I have you eat it? 
Lemonade, all right. Lemonade. It's pretty obvious. It's, it's lemonade mix, and it's not Crystal Light because I don't believe in dieting. I'm sorry. I just, God gave us taste buds for a reason. It needs to taste good. All right. All right, here's my experiment for you. Now, I know anybody in this room never had lemonade? You've never had lemonade? Man, I'm going to call your parents. They've been <laughs> abusing you. Um, all right, so everybody in here has had lemonade. So, so you're already, you're already kind of halfway there. But let's suppose you hadn't had lemonade. And so I come in here, and I'm a lemonade salesman. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want you guys to become lemonade evangelists for me. And I'm going to tell you all about lemonade. And I'm going to tell you, you know, well, it, it's yellow. And, and when you taste it, you know, man, it's this unusual mixture of tart and sweet and sugary and cold and it's you're going to pucker but you're going to want more it's totally refreshing right so i tell you all this stuff and then i want you to go be lemonade evangelists and you're going to go share that with everybody that you know you're going to tell everybody that you know about lemonade based on what i've told you my experience with lemonade was like or you can taste lemonade for yourself right you don't have to eat the whole pack but just take a little taste careful how much you take because I'm not sure it's really good when you take like a giant mouthful of that stuff <laughs> alright right, in this experiment in this moment right now you guys are experiencing lemonade Shh, don't, don't freak out you guys are experiencing lemonade right now. You're, you're not just hearing about lemonade. You're not just hearing somebody else tell you about their experience with lemonade. You are actually doing something that's giving you an experience of lemonade. Right? And when you look at these Thessalonians, they have a quality of relationship with God that everybody's talking about. They're having an incredible impact because something has had an incredible impact on them. You know what didn't happen to the Thessalonians? They didn't just repeat what the Apostle Paul told them about his experience. They, he shows up in this town of Thessalonica and talks about this amazing God, these amazing experiences that he's had, and all that God's done in his life, and then they turn around and go tell the whole world about what God did for the Apostle Paul and how amazing it was in the Apostle Paul's life that things happened to him. Let me tell you about that. That's not what impacted them. What impacted them was that they did things that gave them an encounter with the living God. And that's what you see in this passage here. Right? There's three things in this passage. I don't want to go after two of them. Right? In verse 9 it says, there's this report out there that people have talked about, and in it they're talking about how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Right? Two things that they did. They turned from idols and they served the living God. When they turned from idols and they served God, they encountered God in a way that changed them. They didn't just hear somebody teach about God. They actually did something that had a quality of actions to it that gave them an encounter with God that affected their life. Now, do you guys recognize this? That's not true of everybody. Not everybody you know who calls themselves a Christian has this radiant experience going on in their life. Listen, you, you, can sit, you can sit in a church. You can sit around people that you know who have been Christians. There are some people that just look like their life has been turned upside down by God. And there are some people that are just kind of like they're just here. What's the difference? Well, usually some people have experienced something in God that other people have only heard about. And that's not just true for your generation. That's true always in the world of Christianity. Look at this quote here. You guys ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Anytime you hear of Charles Spurgeon, you should read whatever it is that he said. Charles says, Many men have a dead God still. They do not feel that he hears their prayers. They do not feel the power of his spirit moving upon their hearts and lives. 
They never take the Lord into their calculations. He never fills them with joy, nor even depresses them with fear. God is unreal and inactive to them. But the true convert turns to the living God who is everywhere and whose presence affects him at every point of his being. This God, he is to worship, obey, and serve. Right? All right can, can you relate to this for a second? Can you just be honest with God? Because if, if you're not honest about the quality of your relationship with God, yours, right, right now, if I said, hey, do, do you want your money back? I know you didn't pay any money for your relationship with God, but you know, do, do you want a refund? Is it everything you hoped it would be? Is it worth everything to you? Are you the guy who found this treasure in the field and you're willing to sell everything? You're, you live your life ready to give up everything in order to have God in a greater way. Or you're kind of like, well, I don't know. I kind of relate to this guy. I don't really feel like God hears my prayers. I don't know what it really is like to have a prayer life. I don't really know that I have felt the power of God moving in my heart and in my life. I don't know that I've felt convicted by God. I don't know that I've sensed joy that comes into my heart. Not, not because I got a new toy, but because God has filled me with a sense of adventure about my life. I don't know if I know that experience or not. Well, then you can relate to what Charles Spurgeon is describing. So why this disconnect? Why might you have a Christianity that doesn't seem to be impacting you? Well, might it be because you're not doing things in your life that give you an encounter with God? All right, look, look at these passages here real quick. We're not going to go into these very much. Hebrews chapter 11 describes a couple of guys for us. And it describes faith. And your life is supposed to be actions of faith, filled with actions of faith. Hebrews 11 chapter 6 says this. It says, without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. All right, now, that's an experience, right? There's, there's a word that comes to Noah, and Noah interacts with that word, and next thing you know, he does something in his life. What does he do? He constructs an ark. And, and the outcome of that is encountering God and God's purpose. God's got a plan to save his family and to save the lineage of the Messiah. Noah's going to experience that. See, when you experience that lineage, he's going to experience something in his life, and it's going to give him a vibrancy about his faith in God. But he could have heard that God wanted him to build an ark, and he could have done what? No thanks. That sounds like a lot of work. Not like a really long project. And I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, this thing's going to be like three football fields long. And um, I'm just looking at my family. My boys are kind of lazy. I don't even know they're going to help me a whole lot. I don't, I don't know that I really want to do this. God, I can think of a hundred reasons why I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. And if he didn't do that, guess what? He doesn't experience God. God is still God, and Noah's still Noah, but his walk with God ain't nothing to talk about, and you and I wouldn't be reading about him today. But he did something in agreement with God, and it reshaped his life. And then it goes on and tells us about Abraham. Verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, I know you read that verse real quick, but, but think for a second with me. You're Abraham. You're living in this land. It's called Ur of the Chaldees, and you're a wealthy guy. You've got businesses set up. Life is sweet. You own a big house at the top of the hill. Everybody knows your name. You pull up into town. People go, hey, what's happening, man? You've got a good parking spot everywhere you go. You're respected in the community. And God comes along and says, hey, I want you to leave all this. And I want you to go to a land. Anything else, God? That's it. Where is this land? I'll let you know. What's it like? I'll let you know. Is it good? I'll let you know. So you just want me to leave everything that I've got right now and go to something I don't even know what it's going to be like. Yeah, that's exactly right. How many of you guys are running after that offer from God? Yeah, God, that's what I want to give up everything that I think is great for my world and go step out in faith into something 
apart from your word, I don't even know what it's going to be like. But Abraham does that, and in doing it, he experiences God, and it does something to his relationship with God. Look in James chapter 2, verse 20. It says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds or without doing anything is useless? The Bible says it's dead. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Right, you guys remember that story? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Right, so there's, there's faith and there's agreeing with God. We get taught all kinds of things and, and you know, we get Eric's teaching us while we're singing songs and we're learning things about God and we can say, yeah, I agree with that. But then there's actions that go with that faith that when we take those steps and those actions, the Bible right here says that Abraham's faith was made complete. It, it, it matured. It, it like went to another place. And guess what? If you don't, Take a risk and follow God and trust Him. Your faith doesn't move on and it stays at this little infantile place and there's not a rich experience there and eventually you're kind of like, this is totally boring. This whole Christian thing is totally boring. Can I just tell you, if you don't take some risks with God, you're going to love the land of teenagers more than you're going to love God. I promise you. Because it's, it's a whole lot more interesting, quite honestly. I mean, I, listen, I've I'm been I'm a Christian since I was a teenager. I'm a pastor. I'm, you know, this, is, this is what I do, right? I want people to know this God. But can I just tell you, if you're not going to obey God, trust God, take risks, and walk with God, what you're doing in your Christianity, if you do that, is the most boring thing going. And I don't see how you're going to sustain yourself. Because the stuff out there is a lot more interesting. And if you're finding yourself much more interested right now in what's out there than you are in walking with God, you're probably doing exactly what I'm saying. These guys were interested. The Thessalonians were interested. All right, so let's just learn two things from the Thessalonians. They did two things. They turned from their idols and they served God. And it revolutionized their walk with God in a way that everybody was talking about them, right? So let's, let's just look quickly at turning from idols. What, what, what is an idol? What would you guys, when you think about idols, what are you thinking about? Right? I'm thinking old history textbooks. I'm thinking images and stone figures and carved things, right? Tiki idols that people worship, right? Well, for the Thessalonians, there were idols everywhere, in the land of Thessalonica, right? It's, it's in Greece. That's where it is. You guys have heard of Greek mythology? How I many you guys have heard of Greek mythology? Right? That's, that's what this is about. Right? They, they had idols of Greek mythology. One commentator says, these people there in Thessalonica were worshipers of Zeus, worshipers of Athena, worshipers of Aphrodite and Astarte, worshipers of Artemis, God's many and Lord's many. Every temple had its shrines. Every street corner had its God and its statue and its idol. There were idols everywhere. All these figures, all these names, all these powerful beings that God created by men. Right? Unlike the God that we serve, who is never created, these are all created concepts. So, question for you. Why does anybody create idols? Why? Because idols are everywhere. They're everywhere in the Bible. But why would somebody create idols? Well, these guys created idols because they were, they were doing life and they realized at some point life was bigger than them. It was threatening. It was scary. There were needs in their lives that they didn't think they could meet. These guys were farmers, and you know most of you guys aren't farmers, so you're not worried about planting crops and crops growing and, and the rain. What if the rain doesn't come and the crops don't grow and we got no food next year and we're starving to death as a family? Well, those kind of thoughts went through their heads. And so they created idols who could bring them rain. They created them. It's a sense of comforting their own soul from the fears that were inside of them. 
So there were there were rain gods. I mean, if you know any of this stuff, you know these. There were you know Baal was a storm god. He was the rain god. He brought rain. Well, why do you create a rain god? Because we need rain. Why do you create any gods? Because we are needy people. We need something out there to come to us in our lives. Right now, now we need God, but we'll create something else to do that for us in our lives. Look at this interesting definition for one of these gods, Ishtar. Also in the Old Testament would have been the Ashtaroth, uh, was one of the Greek gods. Astart was one of the Greek gods that the Thessalonians would have had in their midst. He says this, seems a strange combination, but essentially this god, she embodied two particularly female qualities. She produced children, and she fiercely protected her family against danger from the outside. All right, now, if you guys can... can Suck down some lemonade and, and pay attention very carefully. I'm going to introduce you to some thoughts about idols that, that I wish I had understood better when I was a teenager. All right, so I'm, this is not complicated, but it probably isn't stuff that you have been taught in school or anywhere else. Right, there are two things in the qualities of this particular idol, but they're true of most all idols. Idols get created because of two things. One, either because of things that we want or because of things that we're afraid of. And every idol that's in your life is tied to one of those two things. Matter of fact, if you think about what you do in your life, a lot of what you do that gets motivated by idols is motivated by ambition. I want something. I value that. I will work hard to get it. I, I will get up early. I will embarrass myself. I will do whatever I got to do because I want that. But then there's other idols that we are afraid of things that are out there. So we create idols to protect us from those things because we don't want to be hurt by them. Now, for you tonight, I, I want you to discover what idols are operating in your life. Are they idols of ambition? that you're eager to have something. And listen, you'll lie. You'll present a false view of yourself. You'll deceive people. You'll stab people in the back. Right? You, I mean, that's, that's life at school, isn't it? You, I mean, you look around and see people do that kind of stuff. Betray one another. They're your friend one moment, and then they're not your friend. Why is it? Because they wanted something that you happened to be in the way of. They, they wanted the boyfriend that you wanted. And next thing you know, they were all over being your friend, but now uh, they've gone behind your back. They've even said some things about you to tear you down in other people's eyes. Why do people do that? Because they want something. There's an idol so strong in their heart that they're willing to do whatever it is to serve that idol to get what they want because they think they need that. Listen, this is what people do. This is why people do what they do. Here's the most important thing. I think I put this in your outline. Idols in our worlds and in our lives. Because we've all got idols. All of us do. Most important thing needed in understanding your idols is not the external symbols or the titles, but rather the internal cravings and fears. So if you want to understand something about your idols, don't start looking for tikis. Don't start looking for images. Don't look, start looking for names like Zeus and Apollo. Just start looking inside to find out what, what is it that you crave? What do you think about? How do you spend your energy? What are you passionate about? What gets your emotions up? Or what are you afraid of? What are the things that you're trying to protect yourself from? Listen, idols are different for all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. Right? There, there are idols that some of you guys have that others of you would never want and never be vulnerable to. And there are some idols that some of you have that are totally different than the person sitting next to you. What you need to figure out is, what's the idol operating in you that wants to take control of your life and wants to own you, and it wants to promise you all kinds of things? Right? Look at this. This is a great quote from Tim Keller. He has a book called Counterfeit Gods. Listen to this. He says, Some people are strongly motivated by a desire for influence and power. Right? I mean, there's some people in the room here. If you could have anything, you just, you just want to have a reputation for being known as an influential person, as a leader, 
as a person who's the best at what they do, as somebody who's respected. You want people's respect. Man, you've got a craving for that. And when people disrespect you, it drives you nuts. It creates conflict. Your inside of you goes to war. You're ready to really hurt somebody when there's a disrespect. You do realize that, that there are some people, when they get disrespected, they don't freak out like that. You do realize that, don't you? They get disrespected by all kinds of people, and they're just kind of like, all right, whatever. Because that's not their idol. But for you, if that's an idol for you, and you get disrespected, you're going to come to life, man. You're going to do something to fix that, because you can't stand the idea that people wouldn't respect you. Well, there's people like that. And then others, he says, are more excited by approval and appreciation. Right? Your idol is, I just want to fit in. I just want people to like me. And so you know what you spend your time doing? Your idol forces you to spend your time figuring out what will my people like. And I want to be a part of that group. I don't want to be a part of that group. I want to be a part of that group. What do they like? What do I need to become to fit in with those people? And, you, and your full-time job is to make sure you present that to them. And if you get at odds with them or there's conflict or they disrespect you, that doesn't matter. You'll smooth that over because you just want to be liked. Your full-time job is to get people to like you because there's something really awkward about feeling like you don't fit in for you. That's not true for everybody. It's true for a lot of people. That might be your idol. Or, he says, some want emotional and physical comfort. Comfort can just become an idol for you. Right? Comfort comes in all kinds of forms. Things that, that bring a sense of comfort to you. Uh, Sleep can bring comfort to you. Just rolling over and staying in bed over and over, and your parents can't get you out of bed. And just, it's, I mean, it's this, you're well into summer right now. How many guys are like sleeping until lunchtime? <laughs> Some of y'all are pointing that out to each other. Uh, all right, well, I know you don't do that, get to do that in school, but isn't it comfortable? Right? It's comfortable, right? I mean, you just try and get rid of all the light coming in and roll over in your, in your, bed and just snuggle up a little bit more and just roll over again and again. and It's just comfortable to stay in bed, right? There's a sense of physical pleasure in that. But, you know, there's a sense of physical pleasure in all kinds of things. And once that physical pleasure gets your attention, hello, hey, you, did you enjoy that? Would you like to enjoy it again? Well, that physical sense of pleasure, it's not just about sleeping in bed too much. Uh, it can be about drugs, alcohol. Not everybody has a problem with drugs and alcohol, but there's a sense of pleasure that comes from that. For some people, that pleasure is addictive. They love it. They enjoy it. All right, you guys are old enough to face sexual temptations. Right? At some point, these things are all touching things that God designed in you to be enjoyed. Right? Sleep is a good thing. Just too much of it is a lazy problem. Taste buds are a good thing, right? God gave you taste buds. He wants you to enjoy food, but you know, you know you can eat too much? Anybody know that? And you can just do that because it's just pleasurable, right? Whatever it is you're doing in your life, hey, I just like this, I like this kind of food, I just, I just eat too much. Sexual stuff. There's pleasure in that, right? One day you guys are supposed to enjoy a sexual relationship with your spouse. God created you for that. It's, listen, this is not like that got hijacked somehow and it doesn't belong to God anymore. It's like, oh, shh, you can't talk about sex being pleasurable. Shh, Keith, you can't do that. This is church. Oh, really? Well, where are you supposed to say sex is pleasurable? That's God's, man. God created that. God put pleasure in sex as a gift for you. But anything that God has given you that's good and that's pleasurable can become an idol in your life, and you can be controlled by it. Right? You guys who like to do video games, right? scientific studies, video games do something to your brain that's different than most other things are doing to your brain. They create a sense of pleasure. It's why you can sit and play them for hours and hours and hours and not realize, I haven't eaten in two days. <laughs> and I haven't even looked up from here. What? It's next Tuesday already? There's something about it that just draws you in and it's full of pleasure, right? So realize, anything that you can enjoy that way can become a controlling 
idol in your life. And once those things get control of you, you do all kinds of weird stuff. Right? He goes on, he says, while still others want security and control. Okay, this is a different person here, but, but you need to hear this because it is somebody in the room here. It's probably several people. Security and control, those are the things we're afraid of. Right? And these are idols that protect us from things. These are things that we serve in our lives because I don't want to take a risk. Right? I'm, I'm shy. I don't like the public eye. I don't, I don't like being in public settings because I could do something really goofy and be embarrassed. Somebody could make fun of me. They could point out that my, my ears are the wrong size, or I don't wear the right clothes, or I say stupid things, or I'm not in style. Right? So what am I craving if I'm that kind of a person? Because right? you realize there are some people in the room who don't care about that. They wear what they wear, and they don't care what you think. Now, they got other idols, but this ain't one of them. But there are some people, you are terrified. Right? I'm, not try- I'm not trying to embarrass anybody here. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to set you free from this junk. Listen, there are some of you here that you were terrified to come to this camp. Terrified. Because you crave security and safety and you don't want to be anywhere where it feels like you're going to be threatened or something unpredictable could happen and so that controls you so if you're given the option to step out and do something unfamiliar listen if you were Abraham you'd have never left Ur of the Chaldees you would have never left because you'd have stayed right where you were where it was safe and secure and you knew what to expect and everybody knew you and go where I don't know anybody nope not doing that Right. These, are the, these are the idols that live in us. And he calls, he puts them in these four categories. He says, each deep idol, he says, power, approval, comfort, or control generates different sets of fears and a different set of hopes. Right. This is what motivates us. I'm either going after something because I have hope that that thing's going to deliver some good stuff into my life. Some kind of pleasures come into my life. Or I'm staying away from that because I want to be protected and I don't want to take any risks. Listen, you're a teenager, but that's what's inside of you right now. That's what's governing what relationship you'll have, where you'll go, how you spend your time, what do you want to do next. All right, so here's what I want you to discover. I want you to discover your idols tonight. And I don't think that's too hard to do. I want everybody in this room to not be the person that I get to sit down with your brother when he's 50-something years old and he tells me about his brother who's been abusing alcohol and drugs for years and years and years and now he's dead because when he was a teenager, he had, he had comfort pleasure issues with alcohol that he needed to see. That's an idol. And if I leave it in my life, it's going to destroy me. So tonight, how interesting, tonight, you could discover something in your life that God wants to rid you of, that's not going to travel with you through your 20s and through your 30s and into your 40s. This, this could be the most important night that you've ever experienced in your life. Now, now how are you going to find these idols? And I don't have time to, to dig into this a lot, but I just put a quick little list there for you. How do you find idols in your life? Well, first, look for strong desires. What are the things in your life that you really strongly desire? You really, really want something. That's the stuff that idols hang out in. Look for conflict in your life. Where do you get into conflicts? Well, the people that you get in conflicts with, probably your parents more than anybody else, siblings, uh, maybe friends. Don't raise your hands, but how many guys have former friends in your life? Don't raise your hands. You have former friends. You have a list of people that used to be your friends. Uh, What happened? Well, we had a conflict. Well, I bet you haven't thought about it, but what are the odds that that conflict had to do with an idol either in your life or an idol in their life? And somehow, you got in the way or they got in the way of that idol in your life, and you didn't like it, and you felt so strongly about it, and your emotions rose up, and you said things and did things that broke that relationship. You just thought you had a conflict. You didn't realize you had an idol that gave you a conflict. Right, why do you freak out over your, your parents? Right, so you, let's just say you've got the idol of wanting to fit in, and there's this really cool group who's finally paid attention to you, and they want to include you in something, and your parents are going, whoa, whoa time out. 
I don't know if I'm really comfortable with those people. And you are flipping out, foaming at the mouth, flipping out. Why are you, why are you so mad at your parents right now? Because those people and me fitting in with those people, that's an idol to me. I am convinced that if I'm in with them, life is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing and great. And my parents are standing in the way between me and my idol, and I am flipping out. You realize your problem is just not with your over-conservative parents who never let me do anything. Uh, Your problem is you have an idol in your life. And, And if you could, and if you could get away with it, you might kill them in the night to get what you want because you feel that strongly about this. See, that's what idols do. They convince you that they can deliver something in your life that you need. You desperately need what that idol has to offer you. And you're tempted, and you get in conflicts. Or you have strong emotions, right? You, just want, you want to find idols? Just look around your life for things like anger, irritation, fear. Just, just look for that. Just sniff it out. When was the last time you were really angry? What are you really afraid of? If you find those things, just pull on the string a little bit farther, and you're going to come face to face with a big, ugly idol in your life that's seeking to control you. And that's exactly what idols will do. As a matter of fact, maybe you haven't realized they're controlling you now. They're controlling your choices. They're controlling the things that you will do and you won't do. All right, let me transport way back in time. Let's see, it's 1980. No, it's 19, yeah, it's 1980. I am a it's the summer. It's about this time of year. Of 1980, I'm going into my junior year of high school. And I've got, I've got an interesting mix of idols inside of me. Now, I don't realize this because I'm, I'm, I'm a teenager just doing life. And I don't realize how complicated I am on the inside. But I've been saved now for about a year and a half. So God's at work in me, and I can see a little bit of stuff, but I can't see a lot. But I'm going to come to understand these idols later on in my life. And so now I'm, I'm able to look back on them and explain myself in a way that I wasn't able to explain myself then. But it's 1980, and this mix of idols for me is this strange sense of ambition in some categories and fears in others. I'm, I'm, I'm really ambitious in some categories. I, I, I want to be important. I want to be significant. I'm really not interested in being down the list somewhere. I don't just want to be a player. I want to be the player. So if I'm playing a sport, since I was a little kid, if I'm playing a sport, uh, I'm going to do whatever i got to do to be the quarterback. And I was. If I'm playing baseball, I don't feel like just standing in the outfield waiting for a ball to be hit to me. I want some action, so I'm going to pitch. So I'm going to figure out a way to be the pitcher. And I was. Um, If I'm playing basketball, um, I, I, I kind of I want to be team captain, and I want to be in charge of things, and I want to score the most points. And so I worked and worked and worked. I spent hours by myself in a gym to make sure that I could play basketball at that level so that I could have those things. Now, listen, do I understand that's why I'm doing it? No, not as a teenager. But quite honestly, I didn't have a pastor who stood in my life either and peeled me open and said, hey, Keith, have you taken a look inside as to why you do what you do? Is can you explain why you spend the hours that you spend during the summer in a hot gymnasium playing basketball for hours? No, just all I like basketball. Well, yeah, you do. But you also like being applauded and being successful, being looked at like, like you're something special. So that's in me. But what's also in me is this massive fear of failing. I can't stand the idea that I would try to do something and fail because part of the pride of being so successful is never letting anybody see you fail. So I don't realize these two guys don't get along real well. So it's the summer before football season starts. I'm going to my junior year. I've been the starting quarterback for the junior varsity for the last year, and now the talk is I will be the starting quarterback for the varsity team in the fall, my junior and senior year. That sounds great, right? Hey, it's like a dream come true, except the fear idol is screaming like a madman, saying, what if somebody beats you out? 
what if you're not good enough? What if you couldn't play varsity, but you can play JV, but you couldn't play varsity? What if you're not as good as you think you are? What if you're not as good as everybody says you are? Better to let them think you're good than to actually convince them you're not. So you know what my idols convinced me to do? Not play football my junior year and my senior year. Because I didn't like football? No, I like football. And everybody who talked to me said, dude, why are you doing this? You're going to start at quarterback. Why, why aren't you playing? And my excuse that I told everybody was that I didn't like the head coach. And I didn't really like the head coach, but I didn't like him that much, dislike him that much. I just, I craved not looking like a failure. I couldn't take the risk, you see. Because if I tried and somebody beat me out, or I had three bad games in a row and I sat the bench for the rest of the year, everybody finally figure out, oh, he's not all that cool. He's not all that good. Right now, they think I'm good. I will, I'll go out on top. I won't play. And, they'll, and sure enough, man, I wish you were playing. Why didn't you play, man? You should have played. You're going to regret it. Oh, I'm not going to regret it. And actually, I did. I regretted it a lot. But I didn't realize why it was that I didn't let myself do that until I got older and I realized, wow, that's what was inside of me. That's what was controlling me. I had an idol that I wanted people's respect and admiration so badly that I couldn't take a chance that I'd fail. Listen, I, I'm not too much different than probably you guys are. There are things in your life that you will let yourself do and you won't let yourself do. It's got nothing to do with whether you've consulted God, whether you're following God by faith. It's just an idol that tells you, yes, not only should you do this, you have to do this, and you have to succeed at it, and you go after it. But then there's some of you who are afraid, scared to death, and you'll never try that. And you don't realize why that is in your heart, but it's because there's idols in your heart. And God wants to set you free from those idols. So let me finish this idol point. What is an idol? anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Anything you seek in your life that, that you wanted to give you what only God can give you. Have, have you figured out in your life yet that there are some things that only God can give you? You cannot look for another person, an achievement, an accomplishment that, that is going to cause other people to do something. You can't look to that because there are some things in your life only God can give to you. Listen, if you're sitting here craving this sense of, I, I want to feel validated. I want to feel cared for. I, wanna, I want the affection of someone else. Listen, young ladies, if you make the mistake of looking for some teenage guy to provide that for you, can, can I just warn you? I mean, one of the guys are over here. I'm not sure how that happened. But if you make that mistake, can, can you just understand? I'm not trying to be ugly to the guys, but I was a guy growing up. It takes guys a long time to figure out right, which way is up and which way is down. It takes them a long time to figure that out. And here you are as a young woman looking for a sense of validation and affection and you make the mistake of thinking some guy has got it together so well that he can provide that for you. And you start looking for what can I do to convince that guy to pay attention to me? Who do I need to be to get him to care for me? How do I relate to him so that I can get from him what I need? Can I just tell you, he ain't got what you need. And he's never going to give it to you. He's too busy managing his own idols. And he will use you, and quite honestly, you will use him right back. And it will have very little to do with anything God's doing in your life. It's just an age issue. It's just hard to manage all that stuff. But they, you need to realize there are some things that you can only get from God. Ladies, don't make the mistake of thinking some guy can ever provide that for you. You know how much marriage counseling I do that has to do with husbands and wives who are trying to get stuff from their spouses that they should only be trying to get from God. And it kills their marriage, crushes their marriage. So don't make that mistake. There are some things you can only get from God. Right? An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, 
then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Then that'll, that'll do for me. Whatever it is, I have that friend. If I fit in that way, if I'm successful at that, if I have that game, if I have that boyfriend, that girlfriend, if I just have that, if you're sitting here tonight thinking that if you just had something, it would fix you, and that something you're looking to have is not God, you're about to chase after something that's an idol in your life. And God wants to set you free from that. And what these guys did in Thessalonica, they heard a message about a God that they were willing to do this. They, they were living, facing an idol, running toward him. The Apostle Paul brings the gospel to them, and they hear something, and they act on something, and it says they turned from idols. Right? All right, real simply, I mean, turn. What, what does it mean to turn? Well, it means I'm facing this way, and there's an idol that's important to me in my life, and I hear something that now I'm going to act on it. Listen, you can hear something and not act on it. You do know that, right? You can hear something and not act on it. So you can hear this great news about a God who will be everything to you that you need him to be, and, and you can say, well, that's cool, but I'm going to keep facing this way. Well, then your Christianity is going to be a Christianity that will never stand up to teenage temptations. It never will. You'll lose every time. But they didn't lose. See, they had this incredible walk with God because when they heard that, their heart was joined in faith, and they said, you know what? I'd rather have God than that. And they turned from idols to God. They actually took action. You know what happens when you actually take action and turn? Your back goes to your idol. How many guys are willing to turn your back on what seems like the most important thing in your life? Really, do you have that kind of guts? How many are willing to turn your back on what seems to be the most important thing in your life? But isn't that what the guy did who found the field where the treasure was and he took everything that he owned and he sold it? He turned his back on everything that he had to possess what was in that field. And that's what these guys did. And you're going to meet God in that moment in a way that you've never met God. He's going to become real. He's going to impact your life. That's, that, that's a step of faith. That's me saying, you know what, God? I don't fully know what you're going to do for me in my life. I know I've craved this, and I've wanted this, and I've done drastic stuff to have this, but I believe you, and I don't even know exactly what that's going to turn into, but I believe you, and I'm turning my back on this idol, and I'm turning to you and I'm moving toward you. Listen, that's the action they took. It revolutionized their life, and they began to experience God in deeper and deeper and deeper ways so that people talked about their life all over the country because that was the quality of walk they had with God. Let me get to jump to this last issue here. Serving God. That's the other thing that they did, right? They turned from idols to serve God. All right, two things. They turned and they served. And they encountered God in both of those actions. All right, so here's what, here's what serving God is. Our friend Mr. Mr. Spurgeon is going to help us again. He says, after conversion, which is the initial turning of our soul to God in salvation, after conversion comes service. Everybody needs to read that to themselves again. After conversion comes service. Right? We don't just, well, I'm a Christian. Well, what are you doing? Well, you know, I got saved uh, 10 years ago, Christian. All right, well, what, what, what do you do? Ah, uh, I don't know, man. I'm a Christian, you know. Really? You doing anything? Are you living a life that's got content and activity in it? Because if it's dried up and it's got nothing going on in it, I promise you, you really don't want it. And it really doesn't have any quality to it. And you wouldn't sell everything in order to have it. I promise you, you won't. Because it's kind of worthless. It's dead. Right? He says, after conversion comes service. True conversion causes us to serve the living and true God. To serve him means to worship him, to obey him, to consecrate one's entire being to his honor and glory and to be his devoted servant. We are, dear friends, to serve the living God. Many men have a dead God, right? Remember this quote? 
They do not feel that He hears their prayers. They do not feel the power of His Spirit moving upon their hearts and lives. They never take the Lord into their calculations. They're not thinking about God. They're not wondering, how does this please God? How does this fit into God's plan for my life? Should I be in this relationship or not? How is this a part of what God's doing in my life? Should I give my life to this? Why do I want to do it? Well, because I want everybody to be impressed by me. Is that what God's up to in your life? A person who's turned to God and is serving God is aware of these things in their life. So is, 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 there, is there real serving in your life? Right? I mean, listen, I got saved as a teenager, so I, I lived in the land that you're living in as an unbeliever and then as a believer. And so I, I can remember back, so I, I know you're not too young for this, because, you know, my Christianity started right before I turned 15 years old. So I wasn't like 18, 19 years old. I was right in the middle of being a teenager. And there, were, there, was, there was turning in my life that had an impact on me. I, I went literally from a guy who was just looking to party, looking to have a good time, looking to be around the right people, looking to be impressive, uh, you know, part of me being impressive at a young age was doing things that were way ahead of my age. So at 12 and 13, I'm doing things that 17 and 18-year-olds are doing. So I'm doing the same drugs they're doing. I'm drinking with them. So it was kind of this cool thing. See, I was a cool guy because I was a 12 or 13-year-old who could hang with the older people. And I like that because that made me unique. So that idol in me exposed me to drugs and alcohol. But when God came into my life, there was a turning that took place. And I instantly went from being an alcohol drug user to never getting drunk or high again ever in my life. God had totally changed and turned my heart in a different direction. And, and then came serving opportunities. Right? Are you serving the living God, right now. If I were to say, okay, well, quickly, just make a quick list. How are you serving God right now? I ask you to write that down. What kind of a list would you generate? Would you just, you know, well, um, uh, not a lot on the list. Well, I promise you, you want your money back, don't you? What a poor quality Christianity. There's nothing going on in it. There's nothing for you to enjoy. There's no encounter with God. So when I, when, as a teenager, I, I began to be convinced. And I, went, I didn't have a pastor. I, I just read the Bible about it. But I got convinced that God wanted me to know him. I was convinced of that. So I served God obediently by seeking to get to know him. So I just pulled the Bible out, and I made sure, and I read my Bible every night, three chapters a night. I don't know why I forced myself to pick three chapters a night, but I did. So throughout my teenage years, I read the Bible three chapters a night, and I prayed because there was something in me that was going to obey God's desire for me to know Him. And I encountered God through that. He changed my life. Now, what if I hadn't done that? If I hadn't served God's interest in that way? When I got saved, I had a reputation. I was a smart aleck, and so I'd, I'd tell people off. I'd tell teachers off. And I got saved, and I got convicted by how poorly I had treated people. So I served God's interest by going to my teachers and apologizing to them for the way in which I had spoken to them and treated them. I remember they freaked out. They're like, what is up with this kid? When was the last time you ever heard a student in your class go and apologize to their teachers? Listen, I'm, I'm so sorry. I have been so disrespectful to you the way I've spoken to you. Have you ever heard a student do that? Well, I, teachers were freaked out, but that was in my heart to serve God by going and apologizing to them. And then there was an opportunity to serve God by sharing the gospel with friends. I, getting into discussions with people that I didn't have answers for, that people could corner me with their arguments, and I didn't know what to say to them, and, and I was going to be embarrassed, and that's the last thing in the world I ever wanted to be, was embarrassed. I wanted to look like I knew everything. But something in me wanted to serve God in that way. So I'd share the gospel with people. And I, and I met God in those moments. And I experienced God in those moments. And I began to do a Bible study with some friends. I didn't know anything. We just sat down. We just read the Bible and talked about it together. 
And that was a scary thing to do because I didn't have all the answers. And I'm supposed to be the guy teaching a Bible study. I started a Bible study at school. I don't know what I'm going to tell these people. See, you, you take risks. You take steps of faith. And then God meets you in that and you get a bigger God. And then you take another step of faith and you encounter God and you experience God and you, you get a bigger God. And you do that again and again and again and you, and you seek forgiveness and you confess your sins and you experience cleansing. Right? Some of you guys are here right now, you've been hiding your life in the dark and you feel so guilty over it. But what if tonight you surrendered to God and you were honest with him, you step into the light and God's mercy came and cleansed you and you left this meeting tonight with a sense of what it feels like to be clean and to be right with God. Can I just tell you what that will do to your faith? Because I'll tell you what it did to mine. It, it made me want more of God. I wanted to be around God more. I wanted to know him more. I wanted to read the Bible more. I wanted to tell other people more. Right? This is the Thessalonians, and I was not a Thessalonian. These guys are impressive. I was average. But these guys had a quality of faith because they did things that put them on a collision course with God. And the two things that are in this passage is they turned from idols and they served God. Now listen, Eric, you can go ahead and come back up. Um, listen, did I put this in your outline, this last little thought? Teen Christianity, it's on the bottom of the page, I think, often is weak, boring, unattractive, and can't compete with teen temptations because it doesn't have real stuff in it. There's like no real turning or serving to be found. Therefore, the teen life doesn't feel real. Guys, if you want your Christianity to go to another level, right, that's what happened with Abraham. When Abraham did what God was calling him to do, his faith enlarged. It matured. It became more complete. It was stronger. And then from that point, it could go again to another place and another level. If you want that experience, you, you need to follow in the steps of these Thessalonians. You need to tonight think about, am I, am I ready to turn from my idols and to begin to serve God in my life? Can we do this? Did Eric, did Eric disappear? Um, can we start? Can we start this way? Can we start by giving God an opportunity just to clarify for you? Right now, you're going to have to zone in, and you're going to have to do a little bit of hard heart work. And you're going to have to fish around in your motives, right? Do you guys remember this? Go back to that Tim Keller quote for a second. It's the one about the different types of idols. And just think for a moment. He has, he has four major categories. Power idols, right? Idols where you want to be important. You want to be impressive. You want people to turn their head and notice you. You want to stick out. That's a craving that's in your life. Or maybe approval idols. You want to fit in. You want people to like you. You're, you're kind of willing to do whatever you got to do to get people to like who you are. Or comfort idols. Idols where there's certain pleasures, certain physical comforts that you run after, certain physical pleasures that dominate your life. That could be your idol or control idols where you just, you've got a lot of fear in you and you're afraid of doing things and, you, and you're just not stepping out and living your life because you're afraid of stuff. Now, can you do this tonight? Can, can we just take a moment and let God find wherever you are and let him tell you. Do you think God would want to tell you if there's an idol in your life? Do you think he'd want to do that? Yeah. How many of you guys think God would want to tell you if there's an idol in your life? 
That idol's here to harm you. It's, it's here to steal the worship that, you want, that you're supposed to give to God. It's, it's there to steal it from Him. So I think God would want you to know that. And so I know sometimes, you know, I've been to a lot of teenage conferences through the years, and a lot of times the, the altar call sounds like, how many guys had a fight with your parents before you came? Okay, let me see your hands. I did. Okay, well, why don't you come forward and just ask God for forgiveness? Listen, I don't need to make fun of that, because if you did have a fight with your parents and you did something wrong, you need to do that. But I want to take you a little deeper than that. I want to ask you, why did you have that conflict with them? Was it because they put their foot in the ant pile of your idol? Is it because they mess with something that you're so dependent upon and so important to you that you came out fighting? Is that why you did that? Because you, know, you can repent of conflict for years and years and years and never come to understand that you have an idol in you that dominates who you are. And what God wants you to do is He wants you to turn from that idol. He wants you to, tonight, break your ties with it. Say, you know what? I'm, I'm not serving you anymore. You're out of here. Tonight, I'm, I'm turning to God. I'm going to begin to serve Him. And so can you let God show you personally what's on the inside. What's the idol that God wants to deal with tonight? So let's stand up together. I'm going to pray for us. Eric's going to lead us for a moment. And then we're going to have some, some time to pray. And listen, it's going to take some guts. All right, so this is not, I'm not, I'm not going to give you some wimpy altar call here in just a minute. Because the guy who sold everything in order to have what was in that field, he had to sell everything. And for you to part ways with an idol is going to mean you're going to have to give up something that you find valuable. Otherwise, you never would have loved that idol in the first place. So this is not an easy thing I'm talking to you about doing. You're going to betray something that feels like a friend in just a moment. And you're going to literally turn in the other direction, put your back to that thing, and say, see you later. I'm done. So that's not an easy thing to do. Let's let God meet with us for a moment. God, you have brought us here this week. God, I thank you that you have. I thank you for moments like this that can turn into a moment of liberty where the chains come off of our lives and a new day thrusts open for us. Things that you've got in store for our lives can finally start happening because we, we put away idols that are controlling us. And God, I pray, God, I pray, I mean this so sincerely, I pray tonight you would cut off the story in some of these young people's lives that was going to turn into something that puts them in jail at 30 or puts them dead in their 50s. God, I pray tonight, yes, tonight Lord. would be that kind yes. of night where you derail the future and you put something else in its place, something beautiful, something rewarding, something worth having. So God, let no heart hide tonight. God, let none of us let this pass by. Lord, this could be the most freeing thing that we've ever done in our lives. I pray you to help us take a step of faith tonight.